0: This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have.
1: Welcome, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Not Your Doc podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa, and I'm here with our producer, Seth, today. Say hey, Seth. Hello, everybody. Hey. Um, And of course, Mr. Not Your Doc himself, Dr. Charles Tadros. Hi, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we actually have we are joined today by another special guest. Um, it's been a little bit of uh, it's been a little while since we've had a guest on the show, so I'm very excited to get back into that. Mm-hmm. Um, this person is actually an acquaintance of Dr. Tadros from way back in the day, a friend, and yeah, a friend. So Dr. Tadros, will you please introduce uh, oh, sure. Judge Joe Beth Weber to us?
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you, Vanessa. Um, uh, Judge uh, Jo Beth Weber has been uh, uh, kind enough to come speak about some of her experiences, especially about mental health as it uh, kind of crosses over into uh, um, um, uh, legal issues that uh, come before her as a judge. Uh, Judge Weber has been a friend of mine since probably the late 70s, early 80s. -hmm. Uh, She serves as the resident circuit judge in Jefferson County since 2012, and I'm sure she'll correct me if I'm wrong about any of my my dates and stuff like that. She currently presides over a criminal criminal docket. We'll understand what a docket means, the juvenile delinquency docket, and the Wayne County and Jefferson County, these are in southern Illinois, drug courts. Uh, before she came uh, to the, uh, was elevated to the bench. Judge Weber clerked for four. This is all the. This is all the pedigree that's important for uh, uh, where where people trained. Uh, but she clerked for four different appellate court judges, and she served as an associate general counsel for Southern Illinois University in, Car- in Carbondale, and uh, and deputy uh, of the state appellate defenders office in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Um, there's a bunch of other things that uh, are important, but I'm going to get down to um, the Illinois Supreme Court uh, had appointed a judge, and I'm not sure if this is still active, Judge Weber as one of five judges to chair the Illinois Mental Health Task Force. Uh, so she is, uh, she also, because her uh, kindness extends forever, she's also currently, a, I believe, a chairperson for the Second uh, Circuit's pro bono committee. And I uh, was named the chairperson for the Women's Justice Task Force, force way back in 2018. Am I about right, uh, uh, doc, uh, uh, Judge Doctor, Judge Weber? Am I bro- you did it before I could. I have to keep saying that in my brain. I- You're
1: our first judge, yeah, Judge Weber. Right. So we have we're accustomed I- calling people Doctor. Am I close? <laughs>
2: Yes, that's good. Thank you, Dr. Uh,
0: nah. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm I'm interested in everything. I'm I'm always interested in talking about everything, but we're going to focus so we're going to Vanessa will help me focus, etc. Joe Beth and Judge Weber, I'll say Judge Weber, uh, tell, can you tell me how, how, you, how you came uh, up into, into uh, from being an attorney to being a judge? Is this something you planned? And then eventually how you migrated into doing some of these pro bono work, and, and, but also the drug courts, which is what crosses over between mental health, substance abuse, and some of the stuff that we do uh, in our clinic.
2: Um, yes, thank you, and thank you very much for asking me to be part of your program today. I do really appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, um, so, um, well, I was an attorney for over twenty years, actually, before I became a judge. Uh-huh. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to become a judge was because, um, you know, the county that I grew up in is actually where I where I am practic where I'm practicing mm-hmm. as a judge right now. Oh, that's great. Um, and. And I wanted to change the way that we were doing some things um, mm-hmm. in the court system here in Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that we had a lot of people who had mental health issues and substance abuse issues. And you just keep seeing the same people yep. over and over again, unless mm-hmm. you, you know, somehow try to intervene and try to do something different than just sending people to Department of Corrections over and over again. Yeah, um, And a lot of people with mental health issues, you know, are in custody and are in jail from time to time and just having a desire, um, and a wish to be able to try to get them treatment instead of punishing them for this behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, it was really the impetus behind me wanting to become a judge in the first place. So, um, and Illinois judges are elected. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I just went door to door, knocked on people's doors and told them, you know, my ideas about things. And lo and behold, I was elected and, uh, 2012 yeah. um and then i ran for retention in 2018 it's mm-hmm. a six-year term and mm-hmm. then you run for retention in illinois
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um so anyway that's kind of what brought me where i am today and, and why i wanted to be a judge
0: so the, uh, so really a large part was mental health and some of the recidivism that you saw with some of these uh, some of these uh, people that became, uh, came before the bench
2: Absolutely. And um, one of the things that's the most difficult thing to try to figure out is um, did this person have a mental health issue before we started using drugs and becoming addicted or were they addicted and then the mental health issues started, you know, after that?
0: Well, I'm impressed. That's
2: always a big.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm Um, number one. I'm I'm super impressed that you that you care that that deeply and that far back. Uh, That's that's, uh, that is that is a big deal. People self self treating uh, through a variety of uh, techniques, including substance abuse. Yeah.
1: Can I ask a couple of questions because about um, Jefferson County, yeah. Judge Weber? Okay, yeah. What's yeah, um What's sure. the population of Jefferson County like? Kind of like the de- population de- in our. Yeah, in your county. Did you say pop?
2: Mm-hmm. Population in our county is probably around fifty thousand people. Okay. And then, um, I live in Mount Vernon, which is the county seat of the, mm-hmm. of Jefferson County. Mount Vernon probably has you know close to 20,000 people that live in the city of Mount Vernon.
1: okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And um, what about uh, like uh, socioeconomic demographics? or is it uh, pretty like middle class or are there more working class people? more working class people we actually
2: have um we have a big um tire factor here continental tire Mm -hmm. um, which is one of our biggest employers and then walgreens distribution center is a large employer here too um and then the two hospitals that we have
1: in here mount in mount vernon actually um you know employ a lot of people too Mm -hmm. sure so um, in Jefferson County, are there a lot of resources already available for uh, people who are seeking treatment for mental health or drug addiction?
2: No. In fact, we are a very rural community. Um, if you look at the makeup of the entire Second Circuit, um, Jefferson County is just one of 12 counties in the Second Circuit. Oh, OK. So yes. I, I, I below- yeah. yeah. Just to kind of give you an idea. Yeah. Um, we are considered, we are considered a really large city and county within mm. those 12 counties okay. that I just mentioned. So, um, but we only have one treatment center, comprehensive connections in Mount Vernon mm. and it's been in Mount Vernon ever since I can remember. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, we have to have a treatment provider on our drug court team um, and we have to have that person in court every Friday. We kind of started out using them, and then we found out they really couldn't devote, you know, a person to come in here and sit in court you know, most mm-hmm. of the day for drug court and devote themselves just to that from their facility. Right. So unfortunately, we're not able to use comprehensive connections, you know, all of the time for people. Um, so we send them all over different places in Southern Illinois, including comprehensive connections from time to time. Mm-hmm. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: we do have a lot of different people, uh, different places that we use. Um, and then they go to a halfway house um, or sober living home afterwards for a short period of time. Um, Then before they come back to the community, if that's what they choose to do, just to kind of give you an idea of what people in drug court do.
0: Can you start us at the very beginning? Drug court, is that automatic that that uh, every every uh, circuit uh, or every county will have a drug court that people can people can avail themselves of? uh, Or is it something that you chose to bring uh, for bring up?
2: Um, It is actually something that I was very passionate about when I was running for office. Mm -hmm. Um, And you are not required to have a drug court in your county in the state of Illinois right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyway, I was very interested in doing that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, did a lot of research while I was running for office to try to figure it out. So, you know, we started it in 2013 in -hmm. Jefferson County. And you know, drug court has been around even in 2013. It had probably been around for 30 years. They started the first drug court in Miami, Florida, a very long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't a new concept at the time when I started it, but it was very new to our small community where where I'm from. Yeah. So did
0: you did you did you go to did you go sit um, watch other other? You said you did research. Did you physically go sit and watch other? Courts, uh, how they ran, yes. et cetera. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I actually did both. I did a lot of research and then I did, I actually did go and visit a couple of different drug courts before we started our drug court in Jefferson County.
0: I don't think people perceive judges. They see judges in in, 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 in dark cloaks and uh, sitting at a, at a bench. And I don't think they see them as being as active as you, as as, as what you just described, just for this one piece of many things that you've done. Um, uh, so, when you so typically a drug court this is i mean this is a team approach and, and could you just kind of describe what what it what it tries to do that's different than the the typical uh, uh, legal system
2: yes um drug court is a treatment court and by that what i mean is um, you have your traditional you know prosecutor and defense counsel in the courtroom that are on the drug court team mm-hmm. but in addition to that we have a treatment provider for drug court and then we have a drug court probation officer And so, um, in addition, well, basically, when you go to court, I mean, most people, if they're, you know, accused of doing something, they're scared when they come to the courtroom. Um, They have a desire to lie about what they did because they don't want to be in trouble. But the difference between drug court and regular court is that when they come in here, they have to admit what they did. Mm -hmm. And that's the first step toward recovery and admit what you did. Um, stop the lying and manipulative behaviors that addicts have. And mm-hmm. it's just not something that's unique to any particular person in drug court. Nope. It's unique to drug addicts, uh, <laughs> yep. in general. That's yep. been my experience.
0: Nope. So uh, you,
2: master manipulators.
0: It's, uh, um, I tell people, and, uh, uh, yep. I tell people they can't, they can't tell the truth. They want to tell the truth and between their brain and their lips, somehow it gets twisted into a lie. Yeah. They're good people, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but no, yes, please, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead,
3: you're, please.
2: You're exactly right. So um, when I first started drug court, um, that's who we had on the drug court team, prosecutor, defense counsel, treatment provider, probation, and the judge. And, um, and then after a few years, I got the police force interested in being mm. on the drug court team, too. So we had a couple of police officers who were on the drug court team. Wow. Um, unfortun- unfortunately... Um, I feel like the law enforcement, some of them, I'm not going to say all of them in right. our community, but some of some of the law enforcement in our community are not, um, they're not really supportive of drug court. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, it's changed the makeup of our drug court team, and we no longer have um, police officers on our drug court mm-hmm. team. I would love to have some police officers on our drug court team.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But there is, seems to be a disconnect between the training that we receive, which means that, you know, people can relapse and recover and we don't just kick them out the first time they relapse. Right. Um, And some of our officers don't understand that Mm -hmm. and they don't understand what we do because they don't buy into evidence-based practices.
1: Right.
2: So they prefer to have a zero tolerance policy
1: like they would with, you know, violence or any other kind of like violation while you're on, while you're awaiting trial or anything like that. Right. I
2: couldn't
1: hear what you said. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, so I I was just wondering, um, they 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 prop the police officers probably prefer a a zero tolerance type policy, like they're used to you know seeing other other people who are being tried for um you know violent crimes or anything like that. There would not be you know tolerance for you know slipping up one time or not make meeting a requirement. Is that kind of the thing right. that you run into?
2: yes Uh definitely Uh um and you know even with training a lot of a lot of them don't really understand that that's what we're supposed to do and that relapse is part of recovery Uh sometimes for some people Uh they kind of get a glimpse of what their life could be like again if they started down this road and didn't stop Uh and um and so you know if we put up with people doing that two or three times then you know i think they think it's kind of a joke unfortunately yeah um But I am of the mindset that it is part of it sometimes. But, I mean, I've had many people come into the drug court program that never flip up. You know, we never catch them with a positive drug test, even though they're – and just so everyone understands, I should have said this too. When you're in drug court, the way that our program works in Jefferson County, um, there are five phases to the drug court. Mm -hmm. um, And you're basically working each phase of the program to get to the next phase. Mm -hmm. But what these phases consist of is, like in the beginning of it, you're going to drug court once a week you're going to treatment and probation appointments several times a week you're being randomly drug tested Mm -hmm. several times a week you're required to go to um, many na meetings Mm -hmm. Um, meetings you're allowed Mm -hmm. to go to that too
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um there are a lot of appointments you know we might say that you're uh, you are mandated in order to get mental health treatment Mm -hmm. and then they have to get you know an appointment So they basically, in the very beginning of the program, it's really difficult for people, especially if they don't want to give up control and they don't really want to do what other people tell them to do. Uh And I tell them from the very beginning, if you're not willing to do that, this is not the program for you because, you know, if you're sitting in a jumpsuit with handcuffs on, you're not making good decisions for yourself. Uh So I'm going to take this group of people who are on the drug court team who have, you know, different expertises, Mm -hmm. and we are all going to get together and we are going to decide what's best for you. Mm -hmm. So if you're the kind of person that can accept that we're going to make good decisions for you, even Mm -hmm. though you might be mad about it Mm sometimes, this is not the program for you. Mm -hmm. So we determine where they're going to treatment. We determine where they're going to live when they get out of treatment.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, We determine whether we require them to get a job. Mm -hmm. Um, or go to college or get their GED. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some people in drug court who are actually in college right now. Yeah. Um, but wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise, mm-hmm. you know,
3: mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm.
2: we have, um, so those are the kinds of like where you can live, mm-hmm. where you can't be around.
3: Mm-hmm. There
2: are a lot of things that we decide for our people in drug court. And so, and the whole idea behind every decision we make is whatever's in the best interest of our clients. Mm-hmm. And once we make that decision, you know, like in the beginning, it was really hard as the drug court judge to know if people, you know, if they were mad, you know, it made you feel kind of bad. Mm -hmm. And I know that kind of sounds silly, you know, but I was a new judge at the time when I started this, you know, and, um, and you also can't let people manipulate you. And Mm -hmm. I I allowed that in the beginning of drug court, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't allow that now.
3: But, well,
0: we're, you know, we're I mean, trusting just, by nature. I mean, a... human beings think that that other people are going to be upfront, and you know, we're, we're going to exchange, we're going to exchange stuff because we're honest with each other. That's how we get along. But yeah, yeah, of course.
2: Right. So that's kind of how drug court operates and then after you've been in the first phase for like 30 to 45 days if you're meeting all the requirements in that phase, Mm -hmm. then we allow them to ask to move up to the next phase and they just have to go through and basically check off, you know, everything they've been doing that they're supposed to be doing and ask to move up and then the drug court team votes um, in private on whether or not they will be allowed to move up and then they, you know, typically get to move up to the next phase because they know they're meeting the requirements and that's why they're
3: asking. And okay. then
2: at the end of the at the end of the five, and just so you know how it works over time, mm-hmm. like, you know, phase one, you're going every week, phase two, you're coming every two weeks, phase three, you're coming every three weeks. So it's like mm-hmm. your steps, you, everything you do is step down and it's not as much as it was in the previous phase, right. because so we're kind right. of trying to teach you how to live on your own right. in this world when you get out of drug court.
0: And Vanessa and I tend to. I mean, that's what we see. These a lot of people um, are. You're right. They're quote unquote unquote, out of control, but they're actually they're controlling stuff. Like you said, they look like out of control. The wrestlers, but they're controlling stuff. They're doing this stuff. But we can come back to the question about free will and other things. Um, uh, Not everybody that comes that that has a drug problem uh, comes is eligible for drug court correct i mean not just because they flunk out uh, from from these five phases but some people never are not are not they have to apply is
2: that correct that is correct and it usually comes through the public defender's office because they have you know most contact with Mm -hmm. that person right um, some, of the, some of the referrals can come from the state's attorney's office. It can come from the judge. Mm-hmm. Um, the referral can come from anyone, even anyone in the community, Trinity. actually, if wow. they would come forward and ask. But just so you know, just everyone that's referred doesn't get accepted. Gotcha. They have to meet certain criteria they have to meet certain criteria. They have to be what we consider high risk and high need.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, this is these are people. These are people who cannot hold a job. They cannot keep from going for a day without using drugs. Mm-hmm. And it's just totally wrecked their entire life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, most of most of our people have a long history in the criminal justice system. Okay. We don't usually take people who are just who are just getting started using drugs and getting in trouble. There are other programs for that. Okay, okay. We have gotcha. PASC, which is treatment alternatives for safer communities in Illinois. It's called PASC mm-hmm. um, for first-time offenders that get in trouble for things like that. Got it. Uh, wow. We take people who have a long history. We typically take people who are older. I sound like a liar today because I just accepted an 18-year-old in drug <laughs> court who had a really long history in yeah. juvenile court. Wow, well, yeah. Um. Yeah, so they just have to meet some objective criteria that we have. And if they meet the criteria and they have the right attitude to let us lead them along down the path, you know, to recovery, then we do accept them into the drug court. And I and I think that, too, you know, when I was talking about the officers earlier, mm-hmm. I think that's also a source of contention mm-hmm. um, with that group of people because they don't understand if they meet the criteria, we are supposed to accept them, whether they like it or not. Right.
1: You know? uh, yeah. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I so that begs a question for me. I mean, the the structure, I, I love that you said drug court is a treatment court. and it really sounds mm-hmm. like you set up the team and the structure to really set people up for success if they're willing to, you know, follow directions and give up some of that control and really work the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is drug court funded? How are you able to do all of these things?
2: Well, in the beginning, Um, we did not have a lot of we didn't have money for a lot of the things that we needed Mm -hmm. Um, and it was very frustrating Uh, Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of the resources that we needed for drug court Um, so what happened was um, we've had two things that have really changed that for us for the better Um, the main thing that has changed it is that SIU had a rural health grant that Mm -hmm. we've been able to obtain in our county that's great and that grant Yes, that grant actually helped us with transporting people to treatment and back. Mm -hmm. Um, It has helped them with all kinds of things like clothing for interviews or certain kind of boots for certain jobs that need steel-toed boots. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all kinds of things. I could go into (laughs) several Mm -hmm. things that it would cover, but just normally things your insurance wouldn't cover, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and that we would need the money for that rural health grant has provided for us. Um, unfortunately we don't have that anymore as of this coming year from what I understand, but that was really helpful over the last several years. Um, and then back in 2017, I created the drug court coalition of Jefferson County Mm -hmm. and this is a 501 C three organization designed to help fund some of the needs of our clients that we have in drug court. Wow. And, um, so Through that organization, we've been able to fund several different things for drug court. Um, It doesn't have, it doesn't raise a lot of money or anything like that, but it is able to fund a lot of the things that we want to do in drug court. Sure. So, and things move, because drug court also, and I should have mentioned this probably, but I can sanction people, you know, for bad behavior. Uh
3: um,
2: Or I can reward good, I can reward good behavior too. Mm -hmm. That's something that's very different from a regular court. Right. Yeah which sounds kind of, which might sound silly to the public, you know, mm-hmm. that, but this, this is what the evidence shows work for mm-hmm. people who are addicts. Mm-hmm. And um, so some of the rewards that I can give people range from praise all of the way up to, you know, like financial incentives mm-hmm. even, because we have money through this coalition
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: and, and even through the rural health grant. So, we can give gift cards for different things. Um, we've given a YMCA membership to somebody who really wanted to work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to just individually figure out what somebody, what means the most to them. Sure.
1: Yeah. And then try
2: to help them with that. Create
1: those incentives. You know? that's, we had- that's amazing. It seems like it requires a lot of administration. Is that something that falls on your shoulders or do you have a program administrator that helps with these things?
2: No, when you live account in a county the size of mine, you are the the you're the judge, the program administrator, yeah. the secretary. You get to you get to do it all.
0: I'm sure you're you're extremely good at it. <laughs> That's a, awesome, a ju- Judge Weber. You're probably good at all the jobs, <laughs> even if you don't want even if you don't want <laughs> well, them. <laughs> well, is is there a difference? We'll... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is, is there well,
2: a... I was just going to say. Mm-hmm.
0: Go ahead. Is there a difference in in terms of the different types of drugs? And uh, I, I, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, most of us would have thought drug court would be for the young, new offenders. So it's nice to know that there's something else for the for those people. Um, is, is is different types of drugs? Do, you, do do they do they carry different weights in terms of uh, the, the the patterns and the weights of, of of problems that they they carry with them? Was alcohol versus? Um, you know, it's really. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, it's really it's really interesting over the last eleven years that I've been a judge how mm-hmm. different that answer would be over time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but you know, heroin was a really big thing when I first became a judge mm-hmm. um, eleven years ago, and then a lot of people started dying and overdosing on heroin and then I'm not saying people don't use heroin anymore but it's less likely that that's what they're hooked on. Okay. Methamphetamine is probably the most well most prevalent thing that we have in yes. southern Illinois. Yeah. Um the thing that we see the most.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's uh, as you know in in certain parts of Missouri's also. It's uh we we have quite a bit of meth, meth issues.
1: <clears throat> yeah, certainly. Um, I I wonder. Um, are are there? Uh, yes. Sorry. uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about the the success rate of the program? You're talking about evidence based approaches to helping people with addiction kind of move through that, learn new life skills. What kind of success is the court experiencing? And is that in line with how the success mm-hmm. of perhaps other drug courts that you've modeled your program after? How, how
0: do you measure? Yeah, how do you measure success? And uh, yeah.
2: Well, the way I measure success is every graduation, I have the probation department look at our statistics, and mm-hmm. the statistics I'm looking at is how many people have we accepted into drug court up to this point, and how many had we have we had to remove mm. during that same period, you know, of time. So just so you know it's consistently been sixty five percent of the people that we accept into drug court successfully graduate from drug court thirty five percent of those people get removed from drug court and they end up going to prison unfortunately wow.
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, but the, but the more relevant statistic in my opinion is out of these people who graduate from drug court
3: mm-hmm.
2: how many of them get rearrested sure mm-hmm. for a for a fel- for a felony mm-hmm. a okay. case mm-hmm. Um, I'm not talking about a traffic offense or, right. you know, something like that. But, I mean, it's consistently been around 95% that's of the excellent. people who successfully graduate from drug court do not get rearrested for a felony offense.
0: Yeah, it's enormous. That's a, that's Which, a,
2: and that statistic is much better than yeah.
1: nationally. I think it's around 85%. Wow. It's in the 80%. Oh, mm-hmm. well, congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. That's dramatic. How many people have gone through the program during your tenure total? Um, I think we've
2: had um, probably a, oh gosh, I shouldn't even answer that at this right. point. Okay. Yeah. More than 100 people. More than 100. I, know. Okay, I yeah. mean, it's a half, yeah, it's more than 100. Yeah. I mean, it's a half day docket, and that doesn't sound like very many people, but just so you know, they're in here originally for 30 months is how long they're in drug court. And yeah, it just say. changed yeah. in, in about about a year ago, and it's 24
1: months now. So uh-huh. just so you know, they were in here for two and a half years, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's a, once a, they that's, get started.
0: That's a big load. That's a big, yeah. That's, that's a long
1: time to support someone through that is, you know, really high need and needs a lot of touches from specialists. That's really incredible.
0: How do other, how do, how do your friends, other friends? I'm assuming that you only have friends who are judges. Uh, how do you, uh, other judges who may not uh, or may not have a drug court uh, in their, in their, in their circuit, how do they respond or how do they, do you talk about it?
2: Um, I think they feel like it's a lot of like hand holding and all moments, mm. you know? Um,
3: <laughs> and it, and it, <laughs> and, <laughs>
2: And I guess, I guess it is kind of, you know, sure. but, um, but on the other hand, I don't get a lot of, um, job satisfaction from sending people to prison no, and no, having them no. get out and start using drugs again and right. going right back to prison. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. So I get a lot of pleasure and I give a lot of job satisfaction out of helping someone get through this, and then seeing them out in the community, taking care of their kids, being Mm -hmm. good moms, being good dads, being good sons and daughters, being good people in the community who are actually volunteering and helping other people through recovery. Yes, incredible. And, you know, we're not just affecting, like, this generation of people. Right. We're affecting every generation that comes after this. That's right. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, so
2: to me, it's like makes the most sense as far as trying to change people's behavior and make them productive citizens in your community right. that you know can be proud of their their lives.
0: A lot of these people have lost connection with with not only with their with their own physical body and, and but socially and from and in terms of in terms of their health and they've lost connection with with work and all sorts of other things and that's what's the the the, the gap the emptiness. You fill, if you didn't already have mental illness before, now you really do, and you fill it with, with, with uh, any dopamine that can make things better for a little bit at whatever cost, yeah.
1: Can we ask a couple of questions about mental health specifically? Um, obviously, that's a big piece. Um, if, you're, if your plan is to address the problems that come from the behavior of using drugs, um, the underlying condition that causes people to start using them in the first place is where you got to go. Um, Was that something that you knew from the outset that you needed to work on? And what kind of uh, clinical support did you seek out to make that part of the treatment? Um, I think I did know in the
2: beginning um, that that would be an issue, the mental health challenges that we're facing. Um, You know, a lot of people, most of my people have dual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, It takes a while to figure out after people are off drugs whether they really do have a mental health issue or whether it's the effects of the drugs that are making them appear to maybe have mental health issues.
0: I want to – Our audience, Um, our audience, dual diagnosis means an addiction, an addiction plus something else, addiction plus bipolar, addiction plus depression, addiction plus schizophrenia. So the dual diagnosis and harder to treat, obviously. Uh, And, and uh, oftentimes whenever I was in training, uh, psychiatrists would sometimes not want to give people medicines until they were. Clean, clean, clean and sober yeah. because they didn't know what they were treating. Uh, if they were seeing spiders and and yelling and biting and hitting and threatening, they wouldn't. They couldn't tell if it's the drugs coming off the drugs, so they would have to be clean for a few weeks to so maybe a month before they would. Is, you know, which start, is nearly an yeah, impossible right.
1: bar to meet. So the very the hard. mental health issues just continue being untreated. Right. Right. Yeah,
0: so that's uh, that's very hard uh, from a clinical. You sound you sound like a, like and a good time. G- uh huh. Say again. I'm sorry.
2: I was just going to say, and sometimes, you know, people are in drug court for quite some time before we say, oh, you know, this person needs a mental health treatment. Yes. Because, Mm -hmm. like you said, we're wearing off of the drugs and trying to figure out what it is here that this person actually needs. Mm -hmm. We try to assess them and figure out everything they need, you know, and...
0: Do you have a clinician? I mean, you have somebody. You have somebody. um, You said that somebody from kind of a uh, kind of rehab rehabilitation background. But do you have clinicians, social work, uh, social workers, or mental health professionals, or psychiatrists, physicians? You have somebody that comes to court or is uh, accessible to the court. Uh, um, I know there's a lot of barriers to mental getting mental health. Yeah.
2: Right. I actually have a substance abuse counselor mm-hmm. um, that comes to court every time we have court for drug court. Right. Um, and if we have someone that has needs more serious mental health treatment, we always have them get it obtain an evaluation. we help them make the appointment for that. <clears throat> and then based on that evaluation, whatever that evaluator, basically the psychiatrist most of the time, Uh Whatever the recommendations are then is what we what they're required to follow Uh while they're in drug court.
1: Yeah. And are those patients um, getting those evaluations and obtaining care through their own insurance or through Medicaid? Or is that something that the court has to fund as well?
2: Well, it depends on, um, you know, a lot of these people are just getting a job for the first time in many years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, right. a lot of these jobs are not the best jobs that provide insurance. Mm-hmm. So most right. of the time, it is through medic, it is through Medicaid yeah. Yeah. that um, they're having these things paid. So you know, not everything's covered through Medicaid. Right. So then that's a barrier too yes. and an issue. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: so, but the court system doesn't pay for that. It's, right. We always make sure they have insurance of some kind as soon as they get in drug court and our probation officer and treatment provider do the intakes for everyone and they make sure they connect them immediately because we're looking for, you know, an inpatient treatment program for them to go to and they can't go unless they have some kind of insurance. Yeah. Yeah, So.
0: Did you send them out of state sometimes or just different parts of the state?
2: Um, We have to keep them in the state of Illinois um, while they're on drug court because they're on probation and you're not allowed to leave the Uh, state of Illinois when you're on probation unless you have, you know, Specific
0: permission and a court order on you that says that you can leave. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was the pandemic? Uh, were people difficult to 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 achieve mental health uh, visits and new patient uh, starts and visits kind of went to the wayside and and people went to virtual uh, medical care both for talk therapy and also for medication management. How did the the pandemic for the last three years? How did that affect drug courts or mental health treatments for your, for your,
2: uh, well, clients, your, it's, it's been, it's been pretty awful. <laughs> yes. Um, we, uh, anytime you take someone who has mental health issues and you take them out of their routine that mm-hmm. they have every day, um, it's really bad, yeah. you know? So, Man- managing an illness like that is very difficult, but being in a routine and trying to control certain things, I think, really helps people mentally.
3: It does. That's and correct. And so
2: when you get people out of that routine and they're not in that routine any longer, it just makes it so much more difficult. And then just, you know, more free time on your hands yes. and you're bored and right. looking for something interesting to do, you know. Yes. So. Yes, we had a lot of problems with people, and I tried to be very patient with people throughout that process. But yeah. it was very difficult for all of us.
0: <laughs> yeah, all all the mental health, uh, everything, uh, physical health, mental health. I, I uh, just it was just kind of a lot of stuff was deferred, delayed. Less, 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 um, less excellent care. Just for the last three years, no matter who you were, whether you had mental health or addiction or not, yeah, same, same issues. Uh, f- the question about free will. I. Uh, this is a ex- little existential thing. I'm not sure which way that uh, Vanessa wants to go, but uh, in terms of uh, questions, but kind of this, this concept of that 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 people have the ability to improve their lives if they choose to do so, uh, and that's why we're here. in this case, but you, you're extra special. You recognize that it's not just enough for them to will it or want. This is kind of where we get into trouble with a lot of uh, medical issues, but they have to have help sometimes—clinical help, medications, and talk therapies and other techniques. Uh, wh- wh- how, do, how do you perceive, you know, free will uh, for for these for people with addictions, let's say, or mental health stuff, with or without addictions?
2: Well, I think the most surprising thing to me sometimes is when people, um, you know, they stop using drugs mm-hmm. and when we always have a question of the day in drug court and it's usually something kind of deep that you have to think about and mm-hmm. come up with an answer about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, it is just shocking to me how, um, intelligent and how insightful
3: mm-hmm.
2: some of my people in drug court are mm-hmm. and how it takes so much time and effort to help them recognize sometimes mm-hmm. that they are, you know, designed with a purpose, mm-hmm in this life and that they have all kinds of opportunities to change their life now. Hmm. And that, you know, it's just so nice to see them kind of blossoming into this beautiful flower, Mm um, um, out of this really dark place that they've been for many, many years. Yes. Um, and see, see them starting to understand, you know, I am a good person. Yeah. Um, I can do stuff to help other people. Yeah. Um, I might be smart enough to get that G- GED finally, or I might be able to mm-hmm. enroll in college and, wow, look at this. I'm doing really well in college. I can't believe I'm doing this. Or mm-hmm. or I got this great job, you know, um, raising money for universities, and I'm really good at it, mm-hmm. you know, and I get a bonus for that. And just trying mm-hmm. to really try to fill these people up with all of the things that we recognize that they you know the capabilities that they have and then trying to get them to channel that energy into the proper direction so Mm -hmm. that it's used for something good yeah you know in their life
0: it's um people would say i think yeah go ahead no no please complete yes
2: well i'm just going to say I, i i see so many of them now starting to realize that and you know they'll come in here and they'll say you know what i I'm really proud of myself. I'm a good person anymore, Uh you know, and I'm helping other people do this and that, and I'm able to do this or that. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, by having all the the drug court team present and then having the treatment provider and the probation officer and hearing good things from the prosecutor sometimes Uh even, Uh um, and the, and the judge and the public defender, uh-huh. Start filling people up with good good things about them, and they start believing, you know, I am good, and I can do better, and, you know, and that's, that's what they need. A lot of these people that I have in court have never had that in their entire yes. life. They've never had someone tell them, you're smart, yep. or you're capable, um, right. or, you know, they've never... Some of them do have a decent uh, support system, but most of them don't,
0: uh-huh. so... A lot of this stuff sounds remedial, but it's like childhood—like they missed all these milestones, all these supports, and all these these milestones. And unfortunately, they're having to kind of, kind of, kind of—you're having to do it as an adult and through the kind of the legal system uh, uh, to kind of check these uh, childhood milestones and then life skills, basic so a lot of stuff, basic stuff to help them get through their day. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: I hear so much. Uh, mm-hmm just compassion in the way that you talk about people uh, Judge Weber and it's 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 beautiful and delightful to hear that it's also not what I expected to hear from a judge I think when people think of a judge we think of someone who is who's tasked with you know passing judgment literally and punishing people for doing things whether they are mistakes or whether they're born out of addiction or trauma or you know anything else that might explain people's behavior um and also what you're doing in your drug court sounds like a very restorative and rehabilitative um program i'm wondering if uh you know g- law enforcement or the or the court system in general has has something to learn from this model um and Do do you think anybody else, any of your peers who are not necessarily doing drug court, but maybe just working with different high need populations, are they seeing the success of what you're doing here and thinking about ways that they can apply some of that?
2: I think you're either going to be compassionate about this or you're not. Mm. Um, and if you're, if you're not, then you're not going to have a drug court or a mental health court or any of these courts in your county. Sure. And I don't know that there's any amount of talking to people. Um, we actually had a drug court in every county in our circuit until recently. And, mm. you know, some of the judge. and it's up to the resident circuit judge in your county whether you're going to have the court or not. That's my position in my county. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the drug courts were, for a while, they were mandatory for the state of Illinois, and then mm-hmm. they dropped that. And then once they dropped it, we had, I think, three counties that dropped drug court in, in the Second Circuit. And it was up to the resident circuit judge whether they did that. Okay. Um, and there were several different, you know, judges um, on an email that, you know, put out our statistics and all of the reasons why we thought that was a mistake for them to do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and they went ahead and did it anyway.
1: What were, so, what were those judges' you know, think, reasons for wanting to eliminate that program just to, to divert the funds back to law enforcement? And
2: No, I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's more just, um, you know, you only have so much time in the day or, or to do mm, so much right. work. and. I think some of the people feel like that we're devoting a lot of resources for not very many people. Yeah. Yeah. And they feel like the resources should be utilized for everyone rather than just these, you know, few people that we have in drug court. But, you know, when you think like that, you're really missing the bigger picture here. Yeah. You know, the gener- the generational you know, it's it's right. not just their criminal case. It is their juvenile abuse and neglect case yes. because they have kids and they're not taking care of them. Yeah. And, and then Sorry. it's we're talking about, you know, when their kids get older having juvenile delinquent cases. I mean it just you know, we're It, it goes compounds on, on itself, on, but, yeah. It does. It <clears throat> multiplies. <laughs> there's something. So. There's
0: there's something out there called uh, we we talk about genetics in general, and then there's something called epigenetics. And Vanessa and I've done a little little podcast about this, but. The concept this is the concept that <clears throat> not only may you may, may you get some genes that cause problems medical problems physical emotional problems but there's epigenetic changes which includes everything from doing drugs to stress to trauma uh, that uh, that also affects how your genes are turned on and off and so what I think we're going to be we're going see in, in, in the the Criminal uh, criminology and, and sociology literature as well as some of the genetics uh, that in the next 20 years is that we're going to see some of these effects that you say are intergenerational. We talk about transgenerational and intergenerational trauma that we can see as an epigenetic effect and I think that's what we're going to start seeing and people are going to start touting that this is the reason why people can't help get better or improve the, their situation in life and sometimes uses as an explanation, sometimes uses as an excuse, but what you, I think you're going to see more of this uh, genetic and epigenetic information uh, out in society now, and so it'll be interesting to see. But but yeah, this is this, the work that you've done uh, without having physicians and other research PhD researchers and stuff like that do mm-hmm. is really is kind of is uh, is kind of mental health work. <clears throat> it's just part of the legal system. So it's That's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah,
1: that that kind of brings me back to a, a question that came to me when you were talking about how people can get involved with how how they can participate Mm -hmm. in drug court so they can you said they can be referred by just anyone in the population does someone have to be charged with a crime in in order to participate in drug court or could they literally be referred to this program just for rehabilitation in general um no they do have to have a felony offense okay so it has
2: to be a crime you know Mm -hmm. that's a pretty serious offense Mm -hmm. um most drug most drug charges are class three and four felonies in illinois okay um you know just so you have an idea class three felony you can be in prison for two to five years and if you're extended term eligible eligible i won't get into what that means but that means you've had previous felonies within mm-hmm. yeah. been so much of a period of time mm-hmm. but a class three felony if you're in that extended range could be up to 10 years wow mm-hmm. and then um a Class four felony is one to three years in the ordinary range. Could be up to six years if you're in the extended range. So, oh. yeah. so that's mostly the people that we're dealing with. Uh-huh. But just like this morning, I did one. I did a class two felony that could be anywhere from three to 14 years in prison. Wow. So we yeah. only yeah. Um, really take non-violent, non-sex offenders right. and okay. yeah. do drug court.
0: Yeah, I figured that you just have so to have you some understand. restrictions. Yeah, you'd have to have some restrictions about violence, et cetera. Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. I don't think the average, uh, average citizen knows that this is happening unless they're involved with it because of friends or family and stuff like that. I don't think people understand. I know we're on this side of the river; we're on the Missouri side, but, but I, I'm sure this is the same kind of the same uh, uh, skeleton that that, that 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 the outline for any any drug court is kind of what you've just outlined. Um, with, variations obviously but that uh, but but yeah the res the, the responsibility and uh and and the, the team approach um and and with some the stick in the carrot a little bit of punitive uh, potential but a lot of uh carrot a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of support absolutely
1: so D- judge weber as we map I- here where where do you think we're going where do you think you're going with this where do you think the drug court is headed what what future do you see for the population that you serve Um, and also for this kind of structure for the courts. I see that, um, I do
2: think the state of Illinois, um, is very supportive at this time of treatment courts and I see the future being, uh, more treatment courts and less, you know, of of other kind of courts Mm -hmm. (laughs) just because, you know, the, the results are pretty astounding when you look at the statistics that I gave you earlier, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we are the people who see these people, you know, front and center, like at their worst time in their life. And um, if we can intervene, you know, in those moments, I I had a guy today that I accepted into drug court. He's around 50 years old Mm. and he um, has been in drug court for about uh, three months now, I guess. Um, And he's doing extremely well. He's in a different town right now, but we, we can see him, he can come to court by Zoom, so he doesn't okay. have to drive back and forth. Mm. Okay. And then we have someone monitoring him where he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we know what's going on because we have a person monitoring and a probation officer over there. Um, and he told me today, he said, it's so sad that I didn't get to be part of this program 30 years ago. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because a, this a is lifetime. exactly what I needed. Right. You know? It and. Is. Um, just to think about all those people, you know, that we've had missed opportunities with over the years, yes. where we've not had something like this, and they've spent their he spent his whole life in prison. Wow. Yeah. His entire adult life, he's been in prison yeah. on drug charges.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. No, I, I uh, you're already, you're already living it, and that's, uh, and unfortunately, sometimes when families, because I see, I, I, I see multiple generations within one family, and they'll tell me about their kid that I'm also taking care of. They don't know what to do with them. They've done this. They've tried to overdose. And, and, and you know, and I'll tell them. And, unfortunately, I said sometimes being, being in – you Know, arrested is sometimes the, the, the way to not that you can't get drugs in jails and prisons, but but sometimes that's the way to get into the mental health system is to unfortunately be arrested. It's I hate to say that because they the family feels like they can't control anything, and unfortunately, they, the police have to inter, intervene. <clears throat> yeah,
2: you know, it's interesting that you say that because almost every time I have a drug court graduation, mm-hmm. um. I have tried to invite the officers who arrested right. my people in drug mm. court because they they want to thank them.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they always wow. say
2: if I hadn't if that hadn't happened I would not be here today yeah. and I wouldn't have been able to go through drug court. Yeah. You know, they appreciate it in, in hindsight.
0: Yeah, it's very hard. Like you said, uh, whenever you're, you're a young judge, it's it is, it is it's uh, you feel like you maybe do something wrong because of how real the tears seem to be and the anger and the uh, but uh, but you're right. Unfortunately, they there. I tell people their brain has been hijacked. It's like been with a parasite that's not going to let you do what you need to do to take care of yourself, your, your now or your family or your future. And uh, that's when you intervene and you essentially take away some of the, a lot of their autonomy and say, you're going to be here every week. You're going to have to do this. You have to do your drug screens. So you take away their autonomy so that they can hopefully kind of, kind of hard, hard reset back into some sort of um, a path that they can, that's he- more healthful for themselves and for society. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank, thank you're you. Thank you. are welcome. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. It's, uh, what what. It's, uh, what eye-opening experience! I knew a little bit about it, but uh, that's why we needed to talk to you, since you're. you're so I hope that you continue great success uh, in, in the Second Circuit and uh, in Southern Illinois. And,
1: Continued and, retention. Yeah,
0: yeah and uh, hopefully everything <laughs> that you do kind of uh, other, it rubs off on other other uh, other uh, counties and other uh, circuits. Yeah.
1: I think um, you've thank been you a very, very yeah, you've been a very unique guest for us, uh, Judge Weber. Um, obviously, we like to have a lot of people here who are advocates for people in need. <laughs> um, and it's amazing to have somebody on the law enforcement side of things express that as well. Um, and it, ju- it just it it creates a hopeful feeling for where things are headed in the future. So thank you so much for joining us today.
2: You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated it. And I
0: enjoyed this today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Wonderful. All right. So uh, thanks so much, uh, Judge Joe Beth Weber for joining us today. Uh, As always, we love your guys' feedback and response from our show. Uh, You can reach out to us, send us a message, your feedback questions to the not your doc or sorry, not your doc pod at gmail.com. You could check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, um, and we also are at our website, notyourdoc.com, where you can check out all of the different episodes that we've done, interviews with people, as well as Dr. Tadros's original blog, Not Your Doc. We'll see you again next time. Thanks so much, Seth. Thanks, Dr. Tadros. I'm Vanessa. We'll see you later.
0: This previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.